Let's take up our Bibles at this time and read from two passages, one Old Testament and one New. Exodus chapter 15 is the first passage. And Revelation chapter 12 is the second, both with reference to this thing called the wilderness. Exodus chapter 15 and verse 22 to the end of the chapter, which record the first two stops of Israel in the wilderness. First Exodus 15, the word of God. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah, or bitter. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them, and he said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve wells of water and seventy palm trees. So they camped there by the waters. There's the record in Exodus 15 of Israel's entering into the wilderness. Now we turn into Revelation in chapter 12, where is a remarkable revelation of the fact that the church is... The New Testament church is also in the wilderness. Revelation 12, and we can't read all of this, is a sign appearing to the Apostle John, appearing in heaven of a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet and her head, a garland of 12 stars, and she was with child. And this woman is a picture of the Old Testament church that would bring forth the Christ child. And this child is, uh, is brought forth, but then there's a dragon, that's the devil. And the devil is waiting to catch the child and to kill him, and we know this from the history. He would have killed Jesus through Herod and his decree that all the little baby boys should be killed around Bethlehem, and they're forced to flee back to Egypt for a time. But now we would bring, uh, bring our attention or call our attention to what happened not to the male child, not only, who was taken up to heaven, and he's the ascended Lord now in Revelation 12, but to her mother, the mother of the child. Now the church flees into the wilderness, and that's verse 6. And there she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. Now, that's the time that the Bible has in Revelation depicting the entire New Testament age. So you have this woman, the son is in heaven. He's caught up to his throne, he's in heaven. But now the woman on earth is in this place called the wilderness, 
and she abides there, and there's a place prepared by God for her there. Now, the, ja- the dragon is the one who has been able to occupy heaven ever since the, the fall, or even before that, uh, as, a, as a good angel before he was uh, uh, perverted. And now, since the ascension, Revelation um, 7, uh, 12, verse 7 goes on, the devil, the dragon, and his angels fought, didn't prevail, and they're kicked down to the earth. That's the scene of Revelation. The woman brings forth the Christ child. The devil tries to get the child. The child is not going to be gotten by the devil before he does his work, and he's caught up to heaven. He ascends. The devil at this time tries to fight and continue his fight and to to, um, cast aspersions upon the elect there and now even the Christ there, but he's kicked out. He's kicked out. Jesus reigns. Now the devil's cast to earth, and here's what he does, verse 13 through 17. When the dragon saw that it had been cast to the earth, He persecuted the woman, that would be the church, who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place, where she's nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. That's the devil, the dragon, the serpent, the devil. So the serpent, the devil, spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, that be you and me, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Thus far we read, Old and New Testament, and in these outstanding passages, those passages that speak of this one thing called the wilderness and God's care of his own in the wilderness. I want to reconnect you with the people of the Exodus, beloved. We have um, spoken in, and from this pulpit since my ministry here began some 12 years ago, of the history of the Old Testament from Genesis and creation through the life of Abraham, if I have that right. Then we revisited the history of the Old Testament people in visiting the truth of the Exodus, the deliverance of the Old Testament people from Egypt, and now that's where we're at. That people's been delivered. And Exodus 15 reminds us in the first parts that the people are on the other side of the sea, which had become the death to Pharaoh and his host who were not allowed to cross the Red Sea, but Israel was. Pharaoh and his host pursued Israel as much as they could, but God swallowed them up in the sea. On the other side of the sea, Israel... And Miriam and host, they're all praising God with song. What a great scene. And if you revisit Exodus 15, it's a song of triumph. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. 
The horse and its rider is thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength. My song is become my salvation. They are singing at the shores of the Red Sea on the other side, the delivered people, the people of the Exodus. Now they go into the wilderness and want to consider their wilderness journeys. And from this point of view, how is this to relate to us? How do we relate to it? We want to connect the church with the Old Testament people of God, which is like the church in bud. We're the blossoming of the Israel of God. But we want to make that connection, which is not often so easily made, with Israel and the wilderness. We can relate to them because the Bible clearly tells us that Israel is redeemed by that Passover lamb, that's the 10th plague, and so are we, Christ is our Passover. And so there's a picture there in Israel of us. We can relate to them who are going to the promised land after the exodus, they're going to Canaan because heaven is pictured in the promised land, the land of milk and honey. But it's that wilderness experience that has befuddled and confused and muddled many a theologian and many a Christian. And there's been, in fact, much frustration at the people of the people of God who were taught incorrectly from pulpits about the place of wilderness in our lives. So we want to connect, make the connection here between Israel entering the wilderness and ours. And I want us to conclude at the end of this, beloved, that in light of the Bible, yes, when Israel enters the wilderness, that's a picture of our being in the wilderness on the way to heaven. And there's no other way to heaven than through the wilderness. So let's consider into the wilderness. That's just the first text or the f- part of the text of uh, Exodus 15. We're going to deal with Mara and Elam next time, God willing. But into the wilderness, in light of Revelation 12 and the rest of the Bible, we want to consider, first of all, that there's a place there for us. In fact, Revelation 12 reminds us twice in the two places wilderness is mentioned that God prepares a place for the woman who fled into the wilderness, verse 6 and also in verse, uh, the other verses in, in, in 13 and following. There's a place there in the wilderness for her. So secondly, we want to consider the care of God in that wilderness, And finally, that from that place, after the care of God, she's led to another place, even heaven. So here's the wilderness. Revelation and Exodus, like two bookends, remind us that the wilderness is very significant for the life of the people of God, the church and its believers. It's a real historical place, and it's a real wilderness that Israel's led to here. Now, you got to picture that. And in catechism class to the children, I want all the children to listen carefully here. When Israel goes into a wilderness, it's a very wild place they go to. What are wildernesses? Well, wildernesses are where wild animals are. 
Or sometimes it's such a wretched place, there's no animals hardly, or very few, so that it's wild because it's simply not even habitable by animals. There's enemies there in wilderness places, or sometimes there's nobody, and the, lo- and the, and the enemy is then loneliness. It could be hot in a wilderness, like a jungle, or it could be cold, like at the Arctic Circle or Antarctica. Could be flat, could be hilly, could be rocky, could be sandy, could be lush with vegetation, you can hardly hack your way through, or a wilderness can have no vegetation. Could be sandy, could be other kinds of soil and flint, like this kind of soil in the wilderness that Israel was going through. And so there's this uninhabitability of a wilderness place. That's the kind of uh, wilderness Israel was led into. And that also is the picture of the New Testament wilderness. It's an uninhabitable place and very dangerous, very dangerous. And impossible, in fact, for people to survive without help. Some wilderness experts can survive on their own resources, but most of us can't, and all of us need the help of God in places like this and in any place. Israel is going into an uninhabitable place. They can't live there. There's no water, not enough for some two million people. There were over 600,000 people who were counted there of the males who left Egypt, were at the shore of the Red Sea, they entered the wilderness. But then there were women and there were children. And there was this mixed multitude of Egyptians and others who went along for the ride. They'd seen the great miracles that God had done for Israel and they wanted a part of that. So they went with Israel into the wilderness and they were a problem to them their whole life long. But there they were and these people could not possibly be provided for. They couldn't carry all their food and we even read in this first incident, incident when they were wandering three days, they, they, they ran out of water, all but ran out of water and they were full of anxiety about the prospect of how they were going to feed themselves and water themselves and their livestock if they didn't come to a water source or if God did not provide. So this is the place here that we're, we're talking about, and the, the Bible is talking about also the place of <clears throat> uh, the New Testament wilderness for the New Testament people of God. Wilderness, wild place, nobody can live there. Israel's led there, the church is led there. But I want to, I want to deal with a question that, that has somewhat plagued me, not only in this past week preparing this sermon, but uh, constantly. What really is the place of the wilderness for the church of Jesus Christ? Now here's the problem, and follow me along with this. We can relate to Israel. We are a people that understands that the Bible is essentially one. We're, 
We're the people of God in the New Testament who are that Israel now from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Do you understand that? We're a reformed congregation. We believe that this Bible is one. So that there's a people, they were the Jews, first of all, now from every nation, tribe, and tongue. This is my New Testament here. God is gathering the believers who are proper sons of Abraham, who are true Jews, the elect of God from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Jews first, from them God chose his people, and now from the world God chooses his people. So we can get that. We've come a long way when we're born into a Christian home and a Reformed home and a mature understanding of the Bible is that it's one. In this essential, essential plot of the Old and New Testament, God with sinners. He's with Israel, which becomes the church of the New Testament. So we can understand. We're just like Israel, redeemed from Egypt. Egypt is our sin. Pharaoh is the devil. Just like we, uh, just like Israel was redeemed from Egypt in a picture We are delivered from sin and its bondage. So we are that people. But before that, Israel, we know, was chosen. We can relate to that, of course. The New Testament says we are chosen before the foundation of the world in Ephesians chapter 1 and many other places. But before even that, or not not before the choosing, of course, that's in eternity, but, but after that, There's a promise, and Israel was the promised people. Abraham was their father, and we have Abraham as our father. So we relate to Israel being chosen. They were promised to, and they're redeemed, and we are redeemed. That's what we can relate to. And also heaven is for us. We're chosen, we're promised to, we're redeemed, and heaven waits us. But now this wilderness Maybe we can't relate to that so well. And people have difficulty with that because they say, well, isn't it the case that life is good, and especially as children of God, we have it good. We're redeemed by Jesus. All the blessings of life in him are ours now. And they're, they're catapulted, launched, and flow from heaven as, as nothing before if you honor Jesus Don't you say now that life is good? In fact, if I believe enough, I'll have health and I'll have wealth and everything will go rosy for me. That's the health and wealth gospel. And people can't believe that there's a wilderness and scorpions and snakes and hard times for the people of God. If if there is, it's their own fault. They don't have a special place there, as the Bible says in Revelation. In fact, everything they can do is to get out of that place. Believe more and and you'll be healthy and your little child will get out of the hospital. Wilderness? Uh, Not for the faithful Christian and the faithful church. I brought this up often. Christianity to many is a stroll in the park, walk in the park, 
Now that Jesus has died and the Spirit's poured out and, and I'm forgiven and I'm sanctified and almost perfect and I can walk through the park and even though there might be enemies all, all over the place, it's, this is this park land for me. That's the theory of the health and wealth gospel. Now we know, beloved, that's not true. In fact, Israel will be said to be cared for miraculously through the 40 years here. Their shoes won't, won't wear out. Their clothing won't wear out. There'll be this people whose constitution uh, physically is strong and stronger than it ever would be by earthly provision when they're given the manna. And so people say today, Christianity is just like that. In spades, in fact. That is, we have far more blessings than they do. And we have all things working together for good, and therefore it's, it's an easy go of it. So that's one problem people have, and the one solution people have is just to deny that there's a wilderness. And the problem with this, of course, is that <clears throat> the Bible teaches that there is a wilderness for us, and this is Revelation 12. The woman flees into the wilderness, and there's a place of God prepared for her there. There's a place, a very special place in this thing called the wilderness. And we shouldn't deny that there is this wilderness. Well, now, some people, on the other hand, they so stress wilderness and that Christianity is, a, is kind of like a wilderness experience that we should go into the wilderness, that is, a wilderness of our making, or a wilderness experience we should have that will give us to learn more of God. Now, the Bible says that we are in this wilderness, there's a place prepared in this wilderness, but they go further and they say, we have to have wilderness experiences. This is kind of in its nature a Roman Catholic way of looking at things. That is, if you are going to be holy, get out of this world. Go into a wilderness. The history of the church and monasticism is about that. This physical separation so you can be separate from the world. Go live in a cave. Go live on a pillar. Deny yourself things. It's called the religion of asceticism so that you learn by the weakness of the flesh and denying yourselves food and water and maybe flagellating yourself, whipping yourself, you can learn more of the sufferings of Christ. So that's those people, but they ignore the fact that the whole church is already in the wilderness. It's not something we go to though there are spiritual exercises like fasting, which we would not deny have a benefit. But the wilderness is a place we're in. It's a place. It's our place in this wilderness, and God wants us there until the end of time and we enter the land of promise. Well, now, there's other people, and this is the third and last option that is bad, they try to transform the wilderness, the culture. 
Yes, the culture is, is bad and we live in a wild place, and yet we're going to transform it into a garden, into a kind of Christian-like place, into a Garden of Eden, and this through the technology and through culturalization of things and civilization of people and maybe baptizing people at the end of the sword, but doing everything in the name of God to, to progress so that there's this outward peace and outward prosperity. We're ending all of the, the poverty and so on. That way is the way of us. We don't like the wilderness. We want to transform it. This is the great project of, of many Christians nowadays called neo-Calvinists who think to change this world to make it a better place so that there's no wilderness in every sense of the word and it's really a denial in and at bottom of the seriousness of sin. So what do we say? Well, we say, as I'm contending here in this sermon, that there is a wilderness and we must acknowledge that and that there's a place there in it for us to be the people of God in distinction from everyone else who's not the people of God. There's a place for the woman, the place for the woman's children, the place for the church of Jesus Christ in this world so that she's in it but she's protected in it. It's a place, you see, of suffering. It's a place hard by the cross of Calvary. It's a place in this world, but not of it. A place according to election and promise and redemption and sanctification where God would work in us not only to take us out of Egypt, but to take the Egypt out of us. So Israel had to learn in the wilderness physically, and we have to learn in this life spiritually. God is at work, and it's a dangerous place. Basically, what the wilderness is and what we're in in this wilderness is this present evil world. The whole world is a wilderness to the child of God, and to God. The whole world, since Genesis 3, when there was the fall, and there was thorns and thistles, and there was the plague of death upon it, and the spreading of ill and evil, and societies that would be to man, this whole world is a place of wildness, and a place, look, where the devil, out of his mouth, seeks to flood the woman out of the wilderness by spewing water out of his mouth to cause her to be carried away by the flood and to kill her and her children with his flood of lies and deceit. Into the wilderness she's led. Into the wilderness... She is led and must be, but she's not of it. She has a place in it. She's not the wilderness. She has a place in the wilderness. As Paul says in the epistles, we're 
delivered from this present evil world. John says this whole world lies in wickedness. He says in another place in 1 John 2, love not the world, neither the things in the world, for all that's in the world, the love of, or, or the, the lust and the flesh and the pride of life, it's not of the Father. It's a wild place. It's the devil's place. It's chaos, as we're seeing in our society. All the advancements and all of the laws and all the king's horses and all the Democrats' men cannot put it back together again. We're in that place. Chosen and promised to and redeemed by Jesus, going to heaven, but now in this wilderness. What do you think? You understand that, beloved? Understand that there's nothing here. That's the beginning of the second point about the care of God here. There's nothing here. Nothing. No water, no food, no culture, no rest for the weary soul. No signpost for all the enlightened philosophers of the ages. L.A. that way, 3,000 miles. Amsterdam that way. Wall drug, whatever. Nothing to nowhere in this whole world of false light and whatever. Nothing. It's a wilderness. Not a place where even the oases are good places to be. People want you to stop by and have a beer or two, and, but they want you to stay by there, and they want by whatever they give you and whatever prosperity you, you may glean from this place to have your true prosperity apart from God. No. No. It is striking that when Israel was led in Exodus 19, it says, from uh, the Red Sea and into the wilderness. God says, you've seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. The point of God leading Israel out of Egypt and into the wilderness, on eagles' wings, caring for them, was to bring the people to himself. That's the same thing, same metaphor that's used of God's leading his people uh, in the New Testament. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she's nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. To her place. We're now putting that together with Exodus 19. She's led to her place to meet with God. That's the purpose of the wilderness, that Israel might meet with God. You understand what life is about, dear ones? It's about God teaching us to meet with God. God taking us to himself so that we see that nothing else can satisfy. And in all the little things of life and all the big things of life, good and and then the bad things that we think are hurting us, they're, they're to be of none account to us because God is everything. His loving kindness, says the psalmist, is better than life. 
So you don't need food and drink even. You don't need sandals that don't wear out. You don't need three pairs of sandals. You don't need this and that and the other thing. You need God. And that's why the care of God in the wilderness and our care is God providing Jesus. That's the point of the wilderness. Everything about the wilderness, as we'll see as we go through this, is Israel being led to God by being led to Christ. Led to Christ. There's no water at Marah or for three days before Marah. They have to be led to the rock that's higher than they are. The rock water must flow from Jesus. There's no food of any account. They must be given the manna, which Jesus is, as he says in John chapter 6, I'm the bread from heaven. There's no mediator. Moses can't lead into Canaan, but there is Jesus. There's no light except the Shekinah glory of the tabernacle to guide them. That's Jesus, the light of the world. And that's what we're being led to. You know that? Through your trials, and so that you avoid the trial or the temptation of prosperity, you're led to Jesus and to life in him. We're led to the cross. And if there's nothing else that we must learn from the wilderness experience of Israel and of ourselves, we need to learn the gospel of the wilderness which is the cross. The gospel of the wilderness, the gospel of the promised land, the gospel of the Old Testament and the New Testament is the good news of the Savior. The blood that cleanses from every sin. And Israel will be taught to avoid the temptation though they fail miserably and ten times they tempt God and rebel against their maker and their redeemer but we ourselves must be taught continually that this flood of the devil that's not going to help us that's only going to hurt us but there is another flood from heaven that's the stream of the mercies of God more than life to us that flow and have their fountain in and through the blood of the Lamb. Blessed lesson. And that's the point of the care of God in all of this. So don't try to change the wilderness. Make the most of the wilderness article written by a man who had cancer, don't waste your cancer. If you look at life that way, instead of it being a hurt to you, cancer or any other disease in this wilderness is for your good. This is what is allusion to in Revelation 12. The earth helps the woman in the wilderness. It's the, the Revelation version of Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. And all things, Romans 8, 32, are freely given to us because God has given us Jesus. You see, they're blessed things God sends in this wilderness. 
scorpions and snakes and diagnoses and, and hurts and all the times we have to wait in this wilderness, they're all for the lesson of Jesus Christ, our life. Take it home with you, beloved. Take it home with you. And don't waste your affliction by complaining and by unbelief. Don't use your prosperity as a, a kind of leverage out of the church which never gave you anything. Now I'm on my own. I don't need mom and dad. I don't need the fathers. I don't need church and religion or too much of it anyway. I have enough to satisfy my needs and the needs of my family. Israel's going to have to learn. And there are all kinds of pits and trials on the way, and we must learn. The devil is constantly deceiving us in this wilderness, but God cares. Know that, God cares. And just as God led them through the wilderness, and Revelation tells us the child flees into the wilderness and God prepares a place for her there, you know this. God has a place for you right now in your life for you to be with him and him to be with you. It's a significant time we live in. Your place, no matter what you think of it, in light of the word of God, is an extremely significant place because it's a place God puts you. That doesn't mean what we try to get out of our sin, we try never to better ourselves, but it simply means this, we are at bottom satisfied with God. We know his way, but it's higher than us. That's what we know. We know his ways, but it's deeper, and they're deeper than what we can fathom. We're going to be happy with that because God is the God of our salvation, Jesus Christ. And he leads us, beloved, even to be, my final point, more godlike than we ever could be in a palace or in other places of ease. When we're in the wilderness, that's where God works faith. You know what's striking? Most of, the prison, most of the epistles of the New Testament were written from prison. Now, I know it's a divine word, but God th spoke through Paul, for example, in prison, when Paul had nothing but the hope of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus. Think of that. So much of the, the poetry and, and uh, the allegory that's Pilgrim's Progress, they, they were written by men who were persecuted of God. And we, we need to thank the prisons that God led them to, to lead them to the cross in, in great ways so that we ourselves can be reminded it's through these depths, it's through this long night of, of singleness or of terribleness in our life, some kind of calamity that God says, I'm going to teach you of myself and if you learn nothing else, and if you die tomorrow, but you've learned myself and contentment, 
That's good enough. So, think of this as an opportunity to receive the flood from heaven and to avoid drinking the flood and the waters of the devil's own mouth and to avoid despair in the thirst of the wilderness. And that will be to the glory of God. As you know what happens to a church that goes through hard times, they either dissolve, and I've seen many of this happen, it often happens because they start talking and they start spreading rumors and, and they're unbelieving together. It's a terrible thing. But you know what happens to a church that says, yes, this has happened, but we are the people of the cross anyway. And we, though maybe not so popular, maybe we don't have the success of the mega church down the road, we are going to be faithful. That's our calling. There's nothing in the wilderness but Jesus. And last I know, that's enough. It's enough for me, isn't it? Jesus in the wilderness. Not for you, isn't it? So let's preach him. Let's believe him. Let's gather together in his name. And may God be praised all the way to heaven. Because there is an end. There is an end. It's called the glory of heaven. And that's the light. And that's the goal. And we live for that. But meanwhile, every step by faith in the wilderness. Into the wilderness we're led. May we know Christ in it. Amen. We pray, Lord, that you would bless us and keep us. As we are, though in the wilderness, yours and cared for by you, we ask, Lord, your help. We're just a little people, but you are a great God. We're just as people that would complain, but you are a forgiving God. We're a people with very little wisdom, but you are so wise. Oh, help this people and help us all. We love you more. We love your ways that are high. We love your Jesus, who is ours, our precious life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.